It's not like I'm just sitting here teaching for over 10 years and, you know, my kids aren't making any gains. Like, no, that's not it. They did. But what happened to them when they got to third or fourth grade? And all I did was teach them to guess words using leveled readers and memorize 100 high frequency words. Now what? Now where are they? You know, I thought that I taught them to read, but did I? We're Megan and Alyssa, former teachers and founders of Pop PD, a peer learning platform for K-12 educators. On the Extracurricular Podcast, we're interviewing the most passionate, forward-thinking educators to uncover tangible strategies you can use in your classroom right away. I'm sure that whether you teach kindergarten or high school, you've heard about the great reading debates. Heidi is a go-to resource on TikTok and Instagram for hundreds of thousands of parents and educators who want to learn about evidence-based reading instruction. Heidi talks about how reading instruction needs to change and how the misinformation and lack of resources impacts our instruction all the way up through high school. My favorite part of the episode, though, is toward the end where Heidi gives us a big picture overview of how she thinks reading instruction should look from pre-K to second grade, unlocking our students' ability to focus more on comprehension and reading to learn in the upper grades. You'll want to listen to this episode multiple times, so let's get started. Both the Extracurricular Podcast and That Teacher Podcast are brought to you by the team at Pop PD. Our mission is to empower teachers to connect with one another around sharing teaching strategies, tips, tricks, and ideas you actually want, creating a learning experience as dynamic as you are. We know you need access to ongoing, relevant resources to support your teaching career, and it's our mission to help you feel fully supported as a modern educator. Check out our platform now at poppd.co to sign up for your free interactive workspace where you can access ideas and strategies for teaching, organize your favorite teaching ideas, and add your own notes and to-dos to keep everything in one easy-to-access spot. We have new challenges every month to help inspire you on topics like podcasting with your students and using ChatGPT to make communicating with families easier. If you're a school leader or instructional coach in charge of PD, you'll love our platform for curating your own PD library from our content or easily adding your own content to share with your teachers. And of course, we have a community space where you can come together with other teachers around the world to get advice, to laugh, to cry, to vent, whatever you need. It's off of Facebook. It's our little corner of the internet where we can be ourselves. Just click the community button on poppd.co and we'll see you there. We're ready to dive into all things literacy with the infamous Heidi from Dropping Knowledge with Heidi. Welcome to the Extracurricular Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're, we were just saying before we hopped on that we don't think 20 minutes will be enough because you have so many great, interesting, and hot takes on the world of literacy and the science of reading, and we can't wait to dig in. But before we start, we do have to know, how did you end up here? Where did your interest begin in, in literacy instruction? How did you end up there? Yeah, so it's not a typical story, um, but... Um, I guess that's what makes me me. Um, so <laughs> I actually just used balanced literacy for over 10 years in my first grade classroom. I didn't know anything about this um, 
body of evidence that had been around for already like 50 years. Uh, never heard of it. No one ever taught me about it. I didn't learn about it in college. I didn't learn about it in any of the professional development sessions that I attended. Um, and so actually I learned about it on accident because I was working with my son and I was, I figured he knew his letters and his sounds. So we could start working on reading CBC words. And so that's what I was doing with him. And my husband, who's also a teacher, I remember the exact day he came down the stairs and he looks at us and kind of like rude. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, clearly I'm teaching our child to read. Like you should know you're a teacher. He actually is went to school for teaching after me. And he had to take what was called the foundations of reading test, which includes some things like phonemic awareness and phonological awareness, all those things. So he started telling me like, our son's not ready for that. He needs phonological and phonemic awareness. And I literally honestly had no idea what he was talking about. I had not heard those terms before. And so I started looking into that because I'm like, mm, yeah, no, I've been teaching longer. If this was true, somebody would have told me by now. I mean, I teach kids to learn to read. Somebody would have said this. And so um, lo and behold, I started researching and he's he's 100% correct. And then I really got into it because I was mad. I was very mad. I was like, wait, everything I read about these skills said this is what kids need in order to learn to read. And I started thinking about all these kids in the back of my mind, like, oh, that's what they were missing. This is what they needed. Like they were struggling to read. We're doing all these interventions. We're doing this and that and the other thing, but we're not giving them this foundational skill or these foundational skills. And that's exactly what they needed. So I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me? Does nobody else know about this? You know, what's going on? And so I just started learning as much as I could. And then I just decided to start sharing because I thought I'm probably not the only teacher that doesn't know about this. So it was by complete accident. This is not anything I ever thought I would be sharing or talking about, but I have a big passion for it now. I know we were Megan and I were both thinking as you were saying that we talk a lot about how in college you learn a lot of theory, you know, things that will give you that foundation for becoming a teacher. But then you get in your classroom and you're you've got these 25 students staring back at you and it becomes a totally different ball game and you have to rely on the support of your colleagues and figure out what are they doing that's working. And now you've got this this science of reading knowledge that is missing from so many schools still to this day. Why do you think that boat was missed? Like, why do you think schools are still missing these resources? Teachers are still missing these resources today and still kind of leaning on one another for this. I think there's a couple reasons. I mean, do you want me to be honest here? Um. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we do. <laughs> I think a big reason, honestly, is uh, politics and money. I think that there's a lot of voices that are louder and people that maybe are better at marketing and, you know, in that business kind of field and trying to make money type thing that have dominated the, the industry, the education industry for a while. And those are the prevalent, you know, curriculums that we have been required 
to use and the trainings that we've been required to take, unfortunately. And then I think another reason is that bridge. I'm This is my thing is I try to be the bridge between research and the classroom, right? Because sometimes I listen to researchers or I'll read a book and I'm like, I have no idea what they just said. I'm not a researcher. I don't have my PhD. So my thing is like, I want to make this accessible, not only to teachers, but to parents as well. So I just try to learn something and then how can I break that down? Because that's also how I like to learn. And so I think that's that's missing as well. You know, not every teacher has a PhD. Not every teacher is a literacy expert. In elementary, we're expected to teach every single subject. Some teachers in elementary are math people, you know? And so it's like, how can we break that down and just make it as easy as possible for teachers to understand, here's what you do, here's what the kids need. Absolutely. So important. And I, I love that you're you're taking that stance because that role is so essential in, you know, teachers don't have time to be those researchers either. And nor, you know, nor should they be, right? I don't think that expertise is needed to be an amazing teacher. So I love that you're kind of fitting that role and kind of helping people understand, like, you know, I'm I'm doing part of that research for you. I'm I'm immersed in this and you know, other people that I know are, and we're kind of getting that information, translating it, downloading, downloading it, and then helping people give that that action. That's why we're so excited to have you on today is to kind of help give some of our listeners those ideas of okay you know you know maybe this this topic is new to them or maybe they've heard about it maybe they're your loyal followers and just kind of want some of those some of those strategies to to bring into their classroom so it's definitely an important role that translating translating in between the two I love that you included parents too. I use your stuff as a parent of a, a now going into first grader and I taught fifth grade I would see so many fifth graders come in without that knowledge of phonics. And I had no idea because I had been teaching fifth grade for 13 years. Phonics really wasn't, we were comprehension, comprehension, comprehension. And so to be able to back up and get these kids what they needed to catch up, you can't focus on comprehension if they can't read the words on the page. And so a lot of times I was just searching for ideas. And so it's so great to have a resource like you available for teachers who need to have that knowledge at their fingertips immediately. And one of the things you on your Instagram that I love is you break this down into really manageable pieces. And one post you did recently was the five simple swaps you can make today in your literacy instruction. Just if you if this is feeling overwhelming and you're intimidated by the whole thing, here are simple things that you can do today. Can you walk us through a couple of those simple swaps teachers could do today if this whole you know, switching out my entire literacy curriculum feels intimidating. What can I just do tomorrow? Yeah, I think one of the most important things that you can do is just add in that phonemic awareness. And so I don't even like to say that term phonemic awareness because you're like, what's that? Like, it took me a while to figure out the difference between phonological awareness, phonemic awareness, phonics, but basically just teach kids to hear the sounds in words. So if I say jump, what's the first sound? What's the last sound? What sounds do you hear in the middle? You know, have them doing that. Break apart those sounds. What, what sounds do you hear in the word jump? You know, do that. And you can do that at any time. You don't need fancy resources. You don't need any resources. You can do it out loud. It is, research has found that it can be more effective with letters, you know, if you're using the letters with the kids. But if you don't have the letters available, you don't have to. You can just do it out loud. So I think that's one of the most important things that you could add. And even in fifth grade, I think you could be doing that. And kids like to do that. And you can get a little more fancy with it and do some of those advanced phonemic awareness, like say tiger. Now say it again, but don't say g. 
So now we're thinking about it, right? <laughs> we got the word tire. And so for the older kids, yeah, I can see your faces, right? You're like, wait, what is that word? <laughs> um, you know, the, for the older kids, yeah, they the are- The older kids and adults like us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the stuff, you know, that you can be doing. You can still work on these skills with older kids. So that's the first thing. I think one of the most important things. And then um, the second thing, um, you know, this might be a little bit more time consuming, but, um, you know, stop memorizing words, stop memorizing the sight words, stop memorizing the spelling words. I honestly 100% believe that's a big reason why we have a literacy crisis now is because we are spending way too much time in the primary grades having kids memorize hundreds of words instead of giving them the skills that they need to decode new words. Because like you said, Alyssa, when you got those fifth graders and they're struggling, I really think that's why we're spending all of our time having them memorize these words. So instead start mapping the words. And that's just, you know, it requires skills. So we can't do this in the beginning of kindergarten because kids don't have these skills yet. So we shouldn't be teaching words in the beginning of kindergarten. And I know a lot of times teachers are tied to their curriculum and tied to their district requirements. So I just want to add that note in there. I do understand that. But if you have the flexibility, this year I did not teach any high frequency words to my kindergartners. And I made it to Christmas at least without doing that because we were working on foundational skills. So do that and wait on those words. And when you do start teaching those words, map them. So they are saying the word, they're breaking apart the sounds like jump. They're going to say j, a, m, p. And then you're going to spell each sound. So you said the first sound is j. How can we spell that? With a j? Okay. A is the next sound. We spell it with a u. M, we spell it with a m. We spell it with a P and now say the sounds again, j, uh, m, blend it together, jump. Simple steps to teaching any word. You can teach any word that way. Have them do that. Is that three? Did I give you? I think I said <laughs> two, but I do want to dig in there before we dive into another one. If you have another one, I'm sure you do. But before I forget, I wrote down one of the most intimidating things for me as a parent, uh, we did start doing that after I've you know been closely following your Instagram at the dinner table. We do say tiger, but don't say good. And the kids absolutely love it. And even my uh, just turned five-year-old can do it. He's not in kindergarten yet, which is fun. But I get stuck or insecure when a word doesn't follow a, the, the rule, right? Or doesn't have the typical sound. Is that, is there a way to sort of like explain those rule breakers to kids? And sometimes I'm unsure of why the, why it breaks the rule. Like, why does it say that sound, mommy? I have no idea. I don't know. Let me go check Heidi's Instagram page. <laughs> yes. So I've been learning so much about why words are spelled the way they are and what's regular, what's not, like is, was, has, right? I always thought... And I always talk, said to kids and parents, you have to memorize these words because they're not spelled like we would think. So you just have to memorize the whole word. And now I think back, like, why did I ever think that was okay? Because usually it's just one part of the word that might be irregular, right? But the rest of the word is fine. So why are we just, mem okay, memorize the whole word? No, our brains don't read shapes. We can't do that. But words like is, has, was, that S making the Z sound is actually happens like 65% of the time. And that's, so that's totally regular. 
So now I just teach my kids that S can represent that sound and especially at the end of words. And so when you learn more rules like that, it starts to make more sense. Like have, why is there an E at the end when it's not making the vowel say its name, right? So that was another word. Okay, you just have to memorize. No, you don't. Actually, silent E has like eight jobs. One of the jobs is to make sure that no English words end with a V. And so words like have, give, live are regular because E's doing a different job there. And so it just, there's a lot to learn. (laughs) You know, there's like, okay, I'm not sure why. Another resource that I, I try to use a lot is Etym online. It's E-T-Y-M online. It's the etymology of words. So the history of words of why they might be spelled the way they are. Like C-H, when it makes the K sound in Christmas, it's because it's from Greek. And when it makes the sh sound in chef, it's because it's from French. So there's, there's a lot of reasons for these things. It's just that no one ever taught us So we can't teach our kids. And I always hated that. I always hated when kids would say, but why? And I'm like, I don't know. English just doesn't make sense. It's just a silly thing, you know? And now I feel like I can actually answer those questions. And I think, you know, we don't have to always explicitly teach all of these things to kids, but I think it helps. I think it really helps make something that seems abstract, more concrete. And I think our little learners can benefit from that, so. I love that you bring up the etymology thing. I was a high school English teacher and it's actually something I started doing um, with certain, you know, obviously much more complex words, but it's, it's even that storytelling element, right? Of, Of giving a context and giving a story behind why a word is the way that it is. And I would have students tell me, oh, I remember that, you know, especially we're doing things like Shakespeare or, you know, certain texts, um, even like, you know, texts written by authors from different countries, you know, kind of being exposed to different languages and digging into those. It's, you know, at first the kids are like, oh, this is kind of nerdy or whatever. And I'm like, no, it's really cool. But you, you put that context around it and it sticks in their brain because there's a story around it, because you can kind of trace that origin. So it might not work for every word, but I love that because, you know, you're talking about it with, you know, with kindergarten kids and it works all the way up through, you know, seniors in high school. And even for us, right? Like it just kind of triggers in your memory. So I think that's a really great way. If if you're someone who kind of teaches English at those higher levels too, that's a great way to think about how that can be scaled up and down depending on your grade level. For sure. I love that you brought that up. I I sometimes forget we have, you know, K-12 educators listening to this podcast and maybe, if people teach the older kids, they didn't even tune into this one because they thought, oh, phonics, like, you know, I teach the older kids. It's not going to apply. I'd love to get your take, Heidi. What do you think for for teachers that do teach older students, even like I did in fifth grade, do we go back and do some of that instruction for these kids that really did miss the boat, unfortunately, if, if, if our school district didn't have the resources for whatever reason? How are we catching those kids up on phonics instruction? Do we, how do you see that working? Yeah, so unfortunately, yes, I think that we have to go back. I think that, I can't remember the exact statistics, so I'm not going to say it, but it was high that this percentage of students who are struggling to read, and this can be middle school, high school adults, because we have over 50% of our adult population that is not reading proficiently. And so most of the time they are missing skills like phonemic awareness, but 
the good news is it can be taught and it, you're never too old to learn it. So even with an adult, I would definitely go back to phonemic awareness. You know how we were just doing it? We're like thinking like tiger without the, what's that word? You know what I mean? Like it's fun too. I, you can have fun with it. But yes, go back to that. I'm currently working on some things for older students because I feel like that's missing. And I feel like, you know, if you're a middle school or a high school teacher, even fourth or fifth grade, I'm sure you didn't learn these things either because I didn't and I'm teaching the kids how to read. So it's like, well, what do you do? How do you know what to do? And then also when you go look for like phonemic awareness or phonics stuff, it's all for like little kids, right? So it's like, what do you do? So I feel like there's a huge need there for teachers with, you know, who have those kids who are struggling and they need resources. And so I'm working on some things for that because I just feel like, yes, we have to go back to that. We have to just go back, build that foundation up. I think it's going to go a lot faster um, as you know they're older, depending on the student, right? But I think we have to go back and build that foundation because that's essential for anybody to be a skilled reader. Love it. You talked, just to go back to the swaps for a second, you talked on your five swaps video about silent reading. Can you talk to us about your thoughts on silent reading? So the the curriculum that I had to use for about three years wanted us to build reading stamina starting day one in first grade. They did also did this in kindergarten and other grades as well. However, my students often came to me at a level A, which if you're not familiar, that's like a beginning kindergarten. And actually, I shouldn't refer to these levels at all, but that's just what I used for the longest time because these levels really don't mean anything. It just, you know, determines if they're a good guesser or not at the end of the day. But anyways, they were struggling to read and still didn't know letters and sounds, you know, they didn't have that foundation and a lot of them were missing phonemic awareness. So for me, uh, I was always frustrated with having to build stamina. Like how long can you silently read? I, I really felt like it was a waste of time. And I do think that it is a waste of time until students have skills to read. Can they be looking through books for fun? Yes, they can. And we did that. We had like a after recess lunch time. We need to kind of decompress. So we did our mindfulness and grab a book and look through it and have a good time, you know. But uh, as part of the reading instruction block, I just don't feel. And, and after all the research I've read and everything that I've learned, I still don't see a benefit to having kids try to build reading stamina and sit there. And the goal was 25 minutes of silent reading time in first grade. They're six and seven years old. I don't. I don't see wow. where that's appropriate ever, <laughs> whether you can read or not. <laughs> and so I just really don't think it's an effective use of time. And I think it can be very frustrating for kids because they're supposed to be also, you know, making notes or doing, you know, active, you know, active reading. And it's like when they don't even know their letters yet, there's so many more, you know, there's so much better things that I could be doing with this time. And so if a child is not yet a reader, I just don't think it's an effective use of time. Do you think there's a turning point? Like, you know, the old saying when I was in college was like, you learn to read up until third grade. And after third grade, you learn, you know, your reading. Yeah. You learn how to read before third. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you think it's third grade? Is there a magic number? Are we, are we like letting, you know, certain kids go on and read silently or, and, and working on, building words and phonics with the others. How do you see that? 
I think this is a little bit more complicated question than we maybe thought because I think it could be third grade if we did things correctly in the earlier grades. I think that we're not doing things correctly right now. I think there needs to be a lot of change. I think that if we did that, if we did that correctly, I think most kids could be reading to learn by third grade for sure. So I think it, that would depend on that. I think that, you know, a big takeaway from, you know, hearing all these strategies and, and kind of, you know, things to keep in mind in working with younger students and even just those things you're talking about, you look back now and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was trying to get that stamina. When I heard that 25 minute number, that shocked me. I would try and get my my high school students to read for 20 minutes at the beginning of some of our longer periods. And that was a struggle for them oftentimes. I think to me, that speaks a lot to, you know, as you've been saying, you know, that kind of missing some of those skills really makes it harder to do it. I also think, you know, we might be turning students off of reading. And so they're, they're just feeling frustrated. And then there's even maybe when they gain the skills, there's kind of that frustrated association that they might have. And so it seems like, you know, in order to develop a stronger culture of reading, it's not even just the skills, but kind of the emotions and the feelings associated with it, right? That you're really in, in you know, committing to these practices in, in the way that you have. I'm sure you've seen, um, or maybe you could speak to that a little bit, some, you know, posit more positive reactions from students in that process of learning how to read. For sure. I think that I even think back to what I used to do and, and I remember kids being frustrated and me being frustrated because I'm like trying to get them to guess a word based on a picture and they're not guessing it correctly. And I'm like, why can't you just guess this? And it's like, that's not even reading. Why did I do that? And so, you know, and then they're frustrated and nobody likes to do something that's hard and nobody likes to do something where they feel frustrated. We don't even like to do that as adults. So I think you're hundred percent correct in, you know, that feeling. And I just, when you asked me about like the differences, I just think of the videos that parents and teachers have sent me of like, and it, it like makes me cry every time I think about it or that they send these to me, they'll send me like this one parent sent me a video of her child reading one of my decodables because um, I wrote decodables that were 100% like, you know, they're, they may not be super content rich, but if you teach your child this skill and this skill, they can read this book, right? And so he was reading one of the books and he was reading it and he was so proud of himself. And she sent me a video of him reading it and him being so excited that he could actually read. And he wasn't guessing. He wasn't using the pictures. He was reading and he knew he was reading. He knew that he was doing it. And she said that he had struggled so much. And now, you know, with these different resources and doing these different things that I had been talking about, he, he could read and that success. Imagine that success of that child now, like now he's going to be excited to read and he's going to be happy to read and want to read. And that's important. That's so important that we instill that in our kids young as well. So I think you're hundred percent correct with that. And I want to jump in with one more thing that I think is, is coming up as we're talking to that I'm interested to hear is I think a lot of us can relate to this as, you know, early years of teaching. How do you kind of reconcile when you think of, oh, I can't believe I did that. I think there's a lot of frustration and guilt. I know I felt that my first couple of years of teaching, I would look back and be like, oh, and, you know, you express it even when you first learned about this whole field. So do you have any advice for teachers or maybe can speak to your own experience of, 
you know, trying to just feel encouraged or feel like, you know, not just kind of disregarding those early years or, you know, feeling too guilty or too bad, but trying to, you know, stick with it and and appreciate that you're, you're you know, you're trying to continue to evolve because that's a tough thing to wrestle with of, you know, teachers are so committed to their craft. And so it can be hard not to t- not to feel bad about that. For sure. And if it's okay, I want to speak to just two things on that. So for one, not yeah. feeling bad about it, you're going to feel bad about it. You are going to feel bad that you, I think, I literally think about stuff that I did. Like I said, I'm, and I talk about this stuff all the time because I want teachers and parents to know that they're not alone and, and it's okay because you didn't know. We didn't know. And you don't, you can't do something that you don't know about. You know, you don't know better until you do. And so the only thing that you can do right now is, is to learn and continue learning and unlearning all the things. And then, you know, we can still help these kids. We can still help the kids that are in front of us now. And so you, I think it's a cycle. I think it keeps going. I think that I still get mad. I still feel guilty. I still feel hopeful. I still feel encouraged. And so it just kind of keeps going in that cycle. And so you just kind of have to know that and just realize that it's okay. You didn't know, and you can only do better from here on out. And then the other thing I'd like to comment on is there's a lot of people I think that are very much still like balanced literacy and they really want to stick with balanced literacy and they say that they've seen balanced literacy work. And one thing I want to say about that is, is I did too. I did have my kids make gains in first grade. They did move up reading levels. They did memorize words. They did. And so I saw, it's not like I'm just sitting here teaching for over 10 years and you know, my kids aren't making any gains. Like, no, that's not it. They did. But what happened to them when they got to third or fourth grade? And all I did was teach them to guess words using leveled readers and memorize a hundred high frequency words. Now what? Now, where are they? You know, I thought that I taught them to read, but did I, you know, I don't know because I don't know what happened to them when they get to you, Alyssa, in fifth grade, or you, Megan, in high school, you know, I, I'm I'm thinking that they probably started struggling when it came that time to decoding new words because I didn't teach them those skills. And so I think for anybody that's still maybe holding on to um, those practices, I think releasing that responsibility is very important. I think that you have to release that responsibility and know that you didn't invent balanced literacy. You're not the person responsible for these practices and um, it's okay to change and it's okay to learn and unlearn. And, you know, we always have to be open to that as educators, I feel like, and then show our kids that too, you know, it's okay. And we can always learn new things. Yeah. It's a great, great approach to model. It's something I think we've talked about with a lot of our guests and yeah, modeling that for students, even, you know, it's, you can try something for the first month of school. And if you learn something new or it doesn't work, try something new the next month, right? Just because you've established a routine or a way that you did something doesn't mean you can't try something new. Explain that to students, you know, maybe if they're old enough or not, just make the change and see what happens. I think committing to, it's the, the only thing you've got to commit to is being willing to be flexible in the classroom. I think that's probably the takeaway, right? Is be flexible and and, and insert those, those little things to try. And you've given some great examples of, of ways to just kind of start implementing, right? Start, start making those shifts. Okay. I know we're coming up on our time, but there's one more uh, 
thing that I just want to clarify before we go into our lightning round to wrap up, if you could give a summary of what happened, like what our teachers focused on in kindergarten reading instruction and first grade reading instruction and second grade reading instruction, because you just had a post uh, on Instagram that was kindergarten is not the new first grade. So, and we've talked a little bit about that here, but if you could just kind of like give us the very big picture overview of what's happening K-1-2, I think that all teachers could understand, okay, that's the foundation we're waiting for until we can make that switch to thinking about really comprehension. So I did post kindergarten should not be the new first grade. And I think it has become that. And even, you know, when I was teaching first grade, the levels just kept going up, 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 up. Like it just kept going higher and higher to where they should be at the end of the year. I think we have to stop and go back. And if I could choose and I could like create this school pre-K, we would have pre-K and it would be half day. Um, and it would be, you know, it, of course, learning through play, because that's so easy to do. And so um, I, I'm a big advocate of that. But we would also be learning. So kids would be learning their uppercase and lowercase letters in pre-K and the sounds and how to articulate them and all of those things in pre-K. Also, phonemic awareness. So we'd be working with syllables in pre-K and we would also be working on identifying the first sound in a word. So if I say cat, I would want my pre-K students to be able to tell me the first sound is k. And so those are the skills that I would have there. And then when we get to kindergarten, we're going to really hone in on the alphabet. We really need that alphabet knowledge. So they're going to learn everything there is to know about the alphabet. They're going to learn letters, sounds. They're going to learn how sounds are spelled. So if I say p, how do we spell that sound? We spell it with the letter P and we're going to write the letter P. We're going to do all of that. And then also we're going to continue with that phonemic awareness. So I really need my kindergarten students to identify beginning sounds, ending sounds, middle sounds. I need them to break apart sounds. So if I say cat, tell me that the sounds are k at. And then if I say k at, what word is that? I want you to tell me that's the word cat. And that's literally what I would focus on the entire year in kindergarten. Um, and as they learn their letters and their sounds, so if they've learned k and they've learned a and they've learned t and they know those sounds and they know how those sounds are spelled, then we could start mapping words like that. But my focus is not going to be on those high frequency words and those irregular words. And my focus is not going to be having them like in books reading fluently. My focus is going to be on those foundational skills for sure. Because Having taught first grade for so long, I can tell you right now, if my kids came to me and they had that pre-K and that kindergarten experience, do you know what I could do with them in first grade? Oh my gosh, I could literally teach them to read. And so if my kids came to me with that experience in first grade, first grade is going to be, we're going to be mapping words. I will start introducing those irregular words. We're going to talk about the irregular parts, bring in some of the etymology, do all of those things. Um, and then we're going to be using those decodables so that they're reading books with phonics patterns that they actually know um, and can decode. And we're going to keep on working on those decoding. We're going to bring in some morphology because that does start in first grade with those ED endings and ING and S and those kinds of things. And then you're just going to continue that through second grade, just getting more complex, you know, phonics skills and things like that. And that's where I think if we did all that by third grade, I think they could 
Um, you're going to continue, but your block is just going to look different. You're going to have a little bit of that phonics and phonemic awareness, um, but you're mostly going to be reading to learn and work, working on the vocabulary and comprehension there. I think, I think we could we could definitely do that if we focused on those foundational skills early. Gosh, I love that. So like that part of the podcast is going to be so valuable, that big picture. All teachers and parents of young of young children have just bookmarked that. Yes. So, that's great. I love it. Awesome. All right, let's jump into the lightning round. Megan, take it away. All right, lightning round. First question, Heidi, what is your go-to activity or game when you want to kind of fill some time and have some fun with your students? I spy. We can play I spy with anything. I can do I spy with rhyming syllables, beginning sounds, ending sounds. I can do it with so many different foundational skills. It's always I spy. Love that. So simple, simple and effective. Perfect. All right. Uh, next lightning round question. What's uh, one of the funniest things that has ever happened to you in a classroom? Oh, gosh. You know what? I should have read through these questions um, beforehand. <laughs> One of the funniest things that has ever happened to me in the classroom. Oh my gosh. There are some funny things, but I can't think. I'm so bad at thinking about this over the top of my head. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to no come back to that if I think of it. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. I mean, you work with little ones, so I'm sure you've heard your fair share of hilarious things in your time. So honestly, it's probably hard for you to even remember because there's so many of them. Oh, well, I need to think about that. <laughs> That's totally fine. Um, but we'll, we'll go with the last one. So our last lightning round question is, what's your favorite way to learn new strategies for the classroom? You are obviously committed to learning and learn a ton. So where do you like to go for, you know, new insight and inspiration? I, now I really like to go to like the research books because I, I don't like to look, you know, at what other teachers are doing. Because then I'm just like, I just get like, I don't know, cloudy, foggy. And I'm like, I can't think of like how I would do that my own way. So I don't like to even like scroll through Instagram and see what other teachers are doing. I like to go to the research books and see what they say. And then I'll talk to my husband and be like, how can we make this an activity? Like, how can we turn this? Because I don't, I also don't like to recreate things that are already there. Like if this person already has that for you, like go, you can go get that already there. Right. I want to make things or have things or create things that kids that we need that just isn't available maybe for our kids. So I like to go to the research books and, <laughs> and see what they say. Like my that. embedded mnemonics, totally came out of me finding the research on embedded mnemonics. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't really exist. Let's create it. And so, um, so yeah. I also, I love that you're doing that for us so that we don't have to do it because I would not want to go to the research. <laughs> I'll stay on Instagram and just follow you. <laughs> That's my whole goal. It's like, let's look at the research, see what it says. And then how can we make this like accessible for, for everybody to understand one, and then two, something for them to actually use, you know, because I don't think that you always yeah. need something to use, but a lot of times it's helpful to have something to use. So if you want it, it's there. If you don't need it, don't, don't take it, you know? Yep. All right. I know that listeners are going to want to connect with you after this. Where can they find you? Yes. So, um, TikTok is my main 
gig. Everyone always thinks it's Instagram, but I think, you know, technically more people. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. More. T- I don't know. Cause I do have a bigger um, audience on TikTok too, but I think I have a lot of parents on there. So it's drop a knowledge yeah. W Heidi, H E I D I on TikTok. Everywhere mm-hmm. else it's drop a knowledge with Heidi. And there's no G on dropping. <laughs> it's just dropping with it ends with it. <laughs> So everywhere else is there. Yeah, we'll we'll link to everything in the show notes, and and definitely the listeners need to go check that out because there are so many wonderful resources. You have a membership, right? And lots of decodables and printables. I know I use those all with my kids, so you will absolutely love her resources. Go give them a, a look. And thank you so much, Heidi. If you want to hear more about her sort of background and how she got into sharing her ideas online, we're going to talk about that on the That Teacher podcast, which we're recording next. So we'll see you over there. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you, Megan. And we'll see everybody in the next episode. If you had a light bulb moment during this episode, or you thought of an idea to share, join us inside our podcast community to tell us your thoughts on both the extracurricular and that teacher podcast. We have a space for you to comment and chat with one another about each episode. We believe that sharing our experiences as educators is what keeps us moving, learning, and experiencing more of a sense of connection. You can join us inside the community to access all the podcast episodes and the discussion prompts. Just click on join community when you go to poppd.co.